Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. How are things at back in Ohio? Things are good. The heat wave has finally subsided, so that's been really nice. It's more manageable summer weather. Still hot and humid, but not oppressive. I know, I know, I know. And I just to jump into it, because again, this is a, a bigger topic. Last week, we talked about manure eating. This week, we're going to talk about a vice or stereotypy that, you know, if you're around horses long enough, you're going to see this. And if and my heart goes out to you, if you have a horse dealing with this, it is it is a frustrating vice, but that is cribbing. Yes. Yep. This would be a really common stereotypy. You know, looking at the research, and it it depends on what population is surveyed, but estimates of anywhere from one and a half to twelve percent of horses crib. Oh, it's 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 it is the times I've dealt with it, and and trying to correct that behavior is near impossible. And I think we're going to get into that a little bit today, right? Yeah, we definitely are, and. There are actually some more interesting thoughts on whether or not Shuey should correct that behavior. Oh. Uh, yeah, that we'll okay. Talk about okay. yeah, okay. but if for some reason you have not experienced a horse cribbing, what they're actually doing is they will bite an object, a, a fence, a feeder, the bars on their stall. Some of them will just crib on anything they can get their mouth on, but they will bite onto it with their front teeth. And then they'll actually, you'll see they'll like contract their neck and pull some air and they make this like loud grunting noise. It's a very distinctive noise that they make when they do that. And horses will do it, you know, occasionally too. There are some horses that are so obsessive about it that that's, they spend all day long cribbing and sometimes they'll choose to crib over eating. Oh no, it is, it is, it is frustrating. So I guess the, to, to open up the discussion, why would a horse start to crib? So it's a really interesting question because we don't actually know. So, and there are probably multiple different reasons a horse might start cribbing. So right now, even though there's been a lot of research on this, we don't fully understand it. But right now, the general consensus is that the horse probably has some genetic predisposition towards cribbing. And then some environmental factor at some point in their life kind of flips that light switch and they start doing it. It's interesting, you know, it probably depends on a lot of different things, but there was one survey that found in a group of 1,500 thoroughbreds, 1% of those horses cribbed. But if you broke it down to specific family, within some of those families, the rate of cribbing was as high as 7 or 8%. So that kind of gives credence to this concept that there's this genetic predisposition especially because we'll also see horses in the same facility manage the exact same way, maybe good, maybe bad management. Some will crib and a lot won't. So it's not something that horses pick up from each other, but if for whatever reason they have some sort of event that kind of flips on that switch, they'll start cribbing. And a lot of times it's very difficult to ever get them to stop, especially the longer they've done that. So some potential risk factors for cribbing would just be any sort of stress, uh, for example, you'll see some foals start cribbing at weaning because weaning is a very stressful time in their mm-hmm, life. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Also some dietary things like lack of access to forage, kind of going along with that. 
really big concentrate meals has also been linked to it. And that's probably because they're feeding a lot more concentrate because they're feeding less forage. So those two are really confounded with each other. Um, And then, you know, we can have a whole discussion about thoughts and what the research has said related to some gut health stuff in cribbing as well. Right. And I mean, one of the things whenever I start dealing with cribbing is this idea that it releases endorphins, which makes the horse feel good. So to alleviate that stress or that boredom, so it almost becomes an addiction. Right. And that's where some of the thought process behind cribbing has changed a little bit. So that was the traditional thought process that Mm -hmm. when horses cribbed, there was this release of endorphins and then they got addicted to that feeling when they cribbed. More recently, it's been proposed that actually, for whatever reason, this horse's, their brain chemistry is already a little bit different or it becomes altered during a stressful situation. And actually they are getting a release of endorphins from something else. For example, you'll see a lot of horses crib after they eat a meal or after they're given a treat. And then they go and crib after that. So it isn't necessarily the fact that cribbing releases endorphins, but rather there's a release of endorphins and that triggers them to go crib. So like, what's the chicken and what's the egg that's really up in the air right. right now? It's become more complicated. Oh yeah, we definitely need more research into it, and you know what? What is the, the the physiology, all of that stuff? Okay, some of the things I was reading out there, Nicole. Maybe you can help me on this. Ulcerated horses will start to crib. Some believe, but then I read, and, and some of the the data might suggest that cribbing will actually lead to ulcers. So, what what is your opinion on that? I think that's a really interesting question. There have been multiple studies. And as a whole, the research suggests that the incidence of ulcers is not necessarily different between horses that crib and horses that do not crib. One thought was that horses were cribbing in order to produce more saliva, which would then buffer their stomach. But there was a pretty cool study. I mean, the number of horses was tiny, but they actually cannulated the salivary duct and measured the amount of saliva production and found that cribbing really didn't increase saliva production. And in fact, the uh, process of eating food increased saliva 15 to 30 times more than cribbing. So if it was just a saliva production thing, they'd go eat their hay rather than crib when they have both available to them. There's been some other studies that looked at the actual stomach physiology on a cellular level. Didn't find any difference between horses that cribbed and horses that didn't crib. And most of the scope studies have found the same thing, that the incidence of cribbing did not increase the likelihood that they had ulcers. So that was pretty even across the populations. Now, it's definitely possible, though, because we talked about some sort of event flips that switch for horses to start cribbing. Ulcers could definitely be the stressful event that initiates cribbing. But there isn't necessarily a really strong link today to say that horses that crib either do it because of ulcers always, or that they have a greater incidence of ulceration in their stomach. But that could be, you know, that stressful event. So really up in the air. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I mean, that makes more sense than, you know, yeah, because it's just any, that's kind of what leads to it, right? Is is stress or boredom or some of the, that develops these stereotypies. I guess the, a good 
place to take this discussion is what are some of the consequences of cribbing? Like why should owners care if their horse is a cribber? A big one would be the condition of their teeth. So depending on how often they crib and what they crib on, you can definitely see some extra wearing of their teeth and that can be problematic. There has been quite a bit of research that looks at likelihood of different types of colic related to cribbing. So a really cool study actually put um, pressure sensors in the horse and they found that during the act of cribbing, there's increased abdominal pressure that occurs, which makes sense if you actually, I mean, watch the action of the horse cribbing. So that really confirmed what we would look at and guess happens. And there has been some research that suggests that cribbing is a risk factor for epiglottic foramen entrapment of the small intestine. So basically what happens is there's like this little opening and the small intestine can slide into it and then it causes a strangulation. This is the most common or the second most common type of strangulation in the small intestine. And the idea is that when they crib, that opening gets a little bit bigger because of that increased pressure. You know, it is identified as a risk factor, but the specific study that looked at it of the horses who developed this type of colic, 47% of them were cribbers. But the majority of the horses, 53%, who developed this exact type of colic did not crib. So there's lots of different risk factors involved, but I think it's safe to say that that is a potential problem that can happen with a horse who cribs. Yeah, I mean, I go back to the teeth too. I remember, I just remember one horse when uh, down in Texas, she had no front teeth left. So how does that affect her ability to, to eat? Yeah, in that case, they end up on a senior diet at a much younger age. And along those lines, some horses who crib really obsessively, they'll lose weight because they're going to crib over doing anything else, including eating their feed. Yeah, no, it's just like, you know, I, I, always, I always think like, you know, it's an addiction to them. And so they would rather do that than eat or do other things. And then one of the other things, too, is just the act of cribbing, Nicole, like when they you watch them, you know, they, they put their teeth on whatever surface they're, they're using. And then they, they like arch their neck. I'm, how do you describe that? You know, that motion that they do to, to, to suck in the air. Yeah, no, that's like a really aggressive motion. If you see a horse cribbing and you see, um, they can be sore in their neck, you know, they can definitely develop some incorrect muscling. If they're spending a lot of time cribbing, they have this very specific look sometimes because certain muscles are overdeveloped because of all that cribbing. Uh, you know, there's even some reports of horses developing some uh, arthritis in their hyoid bone because they spend so much time cribbing. So it's just not an easy thing on their body, both from their teeth and all the way through their neck as well. So that leads me into <laughs> where I... I've had some experience doing this. How do we reduce, prevent, or cure a horse from cribbing? And I will note that I just have I just have that one mare in my mind. I just it, we couldn't everything we tried we we it didn't work. It didn't work. She just cribbed and cribbed and cribbed. Yeah. So unfortunately, if you're listening to this in hopes for advice on how to cure your horse from cribbing, it's very difficult to completely stop a horse, especially if it's a long entrenched behavior. And, you know, in terms of prevention, so some of the things that we identified as triggers for cribbing would be lack of access to forage, really large concentrate meals, 
Interestingly, I looked at one study and they switched horses from meal fed, heavy proportion of concentrate to an ad lib hay diet. Ad lib means they're fed hay, free choice all the time. And in those horses who had a previous incidence of cribbing, when they got free choice hay, the number of times they cribbed and the duration of cribbing events, so the amount of time they spent cribbing went down. However, when they switched them back to meal feeding, that behavior just flipped right back on and they kept doing it. So looking at your management system and seeing, are there ways I can provide more forage or more enrichment to the horse if they're doing it because they're bored, things like stall toys, more turnout, all of those can help reduce cribbing for some horses. But, you know, we traditionally thought it was something we had to stop because it was bad for the horse. Interestingly, now the thought process has changed a little bit and there have been some studies that have looked at cortisol. So cortisol is what we think of as our stress hormone. And in horses that crib, um, cortisol was not necessarily different between horses who did crib and didn't crib. And sometimes in some studies, they looked at it preventing the horse from cribbing increased cortisol. So it actually stressed them out. But if you let them crib, their cortisol went down. So it's thought of more as a coping mechanism and you can actually do more harm if you prevent the horse from being able to do their coping mechanism of choice. So that's a really interesting way to think about it that maybe we don't want to prevent them from cribbing. Maybe we want to create an environment where they're less likely to crib through enrichment and access to forage Or let's say they're being really hard on their teeth, things like that. I've definitely observed people who have created safe cribbing. So they might have made it less available for the horse to crib in certain areas, but then provided them with like a cribbing spot that would just be easier on their teeth. Maybe it's a softer uh, type of material. I've seen some horses crib on like hanging little ropes that they're able to crib on. So thinking about how do I provide this horse a coping mechanism for their stress without it being as damaging as it potentially could be. I So it's funny you're talking about that because I remember, okay, so, so cribbing collars. So listening to that and, you know, the, the, the cribbing collars that, that were pushed for a long time, you know, a device you would place around their head to prevent them from cribbing stressed me out trying to adjust that on the horse. So I can imagine, you know, on them, how stressful that could be. Yeah. And I think people today are more willing to live with some of those things and kind of work with the horse. I have one horse who cribs. I mean, thankfully he doesn't do it full time. And he really exemplifies that thought process that when he gets something he wants, he goes and cribs So he has an endorphin release and then he cribs as an outlet because after a meal or after our treat, this horse cribs, but that's really the only time. Uh, The only time I saw an increase in cribbing in this particular horse was during stall rest. And that makes sense. He was stressed out, even though we did as many things as possible to make that a good experience. So I'm one that honestly, unless a horse was dramatically losing weight because they were cribbing, my gut would say, let's make it a safe place for them to crib so that we're not taking away that coping mechanism because that's more likely to stress them out and then lead to other negative health impacts like ulcers and, you know, all those other things that are caused by stress. Yeah. One thing you you kind of did brush over too is, is the nutrition component because, 
seeing some of the research out there, you know, I, I always call them like hot diets. You like you said, you did say like high in starch, right? So a lots of energy because I, I, I see stalled horses, you know, especially on the racetrack, these, these diets so high in energy, uh, maybe high in starch, making them a little crazy, right? So, so they're stressed. <laughs> they don't have, you know, they don't have an outlet. They're not out on pasture. They can't run and exercise off this excess energy. So is, is there some truth in that, that diets, I don't know, higher in fat, higher in fiber, maybe less starch? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. what you proposed is a very valid thing because we know a couple of things. One, those diets higher in sugar and starch do lead to increased incidences of gastric upset. That could be that horse's trigger for cribbing. It doesn't mean that every horse with ulcers cribs, but we kind of established that could be the light switch that turns it on. And two, if they are that hot and anxious just because they can't work off that additional energy, it does make sense that that stress could result in them cribbing more. So absolutely, I think in terms of let's decrease the likelihood of cribbing. So we've accepted the fact that we can't cure it. Access to long stem forage. And then if you, they do need additional calories beyond a ration balancer, for example, you would rely on feeds that are higher in good quality fiber and fat versus ones that are higher in sugar and starch. So we think about those are cool energy, the higher fiber, the higher fat, that's going to give them the endurance to do their job. It's going to help them maintain their weight, but it doesn't give them that sugar high where they're bouncing off the walls, which they just can't work off if they don't have that sort of access to, you know, large turnout, heavy exercise, et cetera. It's so funny because any parent out there knows what their child is like when they give them sugar. It, it, you just, they, they do. They change instantly and they're running around like wild banshees. So it's similar with our horses. So that, that's funny you were saying that. I was like, oh God, you know, my, my kids, you know, give them some, some sugar <laughs> and they're just bouncing off the walls. So overall, any final thoughts or suggestions for owners with cribbing? I, I, I know it's a frustrating vice that they may develop, but I think I like how you presented it as far as just learning to live with it. I think ultimately, just like we talked about in the last podcast, if a horse develops this behavior all of a sudden, like if they had you know, started eating manure out of nowhere, it should be a good opportunity for you to kind of go down the list of their management, their diet. Let's make sure they're getting plenty of forage, that it's good enough quality that they're actually eating it. So we always say minimum amount of forage for the horse who's not dramatically obese is 1.5% of their body weight in forage. They have to actually eat that though, just providing it. If they waste half of it and leave it in their stall, that doesn't count. So making sure their forage program is good, that you're supplying appropriate calories through the type of concentrate that you have chosen, and then that they have opportunities for enrichment. And that'll look different in different management systems. It might be more turnout. It might be a different herd dynamic. Sometimes horses get very unhappy in one herd, but they do better in another with a different buddy. It could be things like stall toys. There's lots of creative ways that we can do it, but if a horse develops this cribbing behavior, it's a good indicator that we need to kind of take an overall look and reduce your risk factors. And then unfortunately, sometimes once they start doing it, you can't necessarily stop it. And then think about what are ways we can help them crib safely that's less impactful on their body. But if we take it away completely, we run the risk of stressing them out way more. That's a great summary, Nicole. And I think we can just leave it there today. It, it, it's one of those things that you're, you're going to run into 
uh, working with horses. And, you know, if you have any questions, any concerns about this topic or any topic, always feel free to, to email the tribute team. There's always the link at the bottom of the show notes. Again, thank you for sharing these episodes on social media, you, you know, to your, to your friends and equine enthusiasts out there. But thank you so much for listening and stay tuned. We'll be back next week. Thank you.